0: Good evening. Add my welcome to Jason's. Glad you are here to think about God together. So, we've been going through the summer in our evening services. We've been looking at the nature and character of God and various attributes. Tonight, we come to his presence. Where is God? And that question can come with a number of different emphases. Some of you might be here tonight searching for God. You sense a need, a lack. You uh, know that there is something more out there, but you're not sure what it is. And so where do you find God? A church is a good place to start. Glad that you're here. Uh, The Bible is a good place to start. There are a number of possible answers. Perhaps you find God through quiet and meditation, by spending time in the grandeur of creation. Uh, Every religion in the world will give you an answer to that question, where can I find God? If you are searching, where should you look? Tonight, I hope uh, to help us think about that. You could also ask that same question, where is God? In the midst of trial, in the midst of a sorrow, in the midst of trouble, where is God in this suffering? Where is God when this or that is happening? Where is God in this event? Where is God when blank? And it is not hard for some of us fill in that blank. Where is God in my struggle with sin? Where is God when I need him? Some of you might not answer that question. You just might not think about it, and I hope that tonight convinces you that you ought to. We're going to consider the presence of God. Where is God? Under three headings, and if you are like me and you do a better job remembering things when there is some pattern. We're going to have three Ps. We're going to look at the extent of God's presence by looking at his pervasive presence. We're going to look at the nature of his presence by looking at God's personal presence. And then we're going to look at why it matters by looking at God's practical presence. God per- God's pervasive, personal, practical presence. Before we do that, do you... Please pray with me. Father, you know even better than we do how inadequate we are to understand, to wrap our minds around the immensity of an eternal, all powerful, all wise just loving good god and yet you have revealed yourself to us and so i ask lord that tonight as we consider who you are that you who are present with us holding together our molecules would be present with us opening our eyes and our hearts and giving us understanding that we might see you more would you Provide us tonight with your gracious presence. In the name of your Son, Christ, we pray. Amen. We are going to um, look at Psalm 139. If you want to grab a Bible from in front of you, it's on page 521. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles. We are going to look tonight specifically at... Verses 7 through 12. As we consider where is God and why does it matter. David, king of Israel, the writer of this psalm says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there... Your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night, as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. David asks our question in reverse, not where is God, but where can I go that he is not And the rhetorical answer is nowhere. If I ascend to heaven, now we would expect God to be in heaven, right? That's where he uh, exists. That's where he dwells. That is his home. That is where his throne room is. And certainly we find if I ascend to heaven, God is there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. This is maybe more surprising. If I go down to the depths, you are there. Commentators are, are split on whether this means uh, some sort of physical hell location or whether it is to be entombed with the dead. But either way, maybe a little bit more surprising and unexpected that we would find God among the dead. But there he is as well. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The morning, if I take the wings of the morning, you imagine the sun just cresting over the earth and the the beams of light flooding into the world. If I could ride on that light, I could not move fast enough. I could not move far enough to escape the presence of God. If I could dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, if I could find some obscure wilderness location where no one would know where I am, I don't get any cell service, my GPS doesn't show up on anybody's radar, still God is there and would know where I am. Most commentators believe this is also an illusion that the morning, the eastern edge of The sky, the Mediterranean Sea on the western side of Israel, the morning and the sea, east and west. I cannot go far enough east. I cannot go far enough west. I cannot go high enough to heaven. I cannot go low enough into the depths such that you are not there. There is no height, nor depth, nor length, nor breadth, from which you can escape the presence of God. He is everywhere. Which would stand to reason, even if the psalmist didn't tell us that. We have spoken this summer about the eternality of God. Can we consider a God who is not bound by time, but somehow is bound by space? We have talked about the unchanging nature of God, What would a God look like who has to move from location to location? Before anything else was, he was, and he was without constraint. Should this act of creation somehow limit where he is? He who was present to speak each and every aspect of creation into being couldn't possibly be exiled from some portion of that same creation. He is everywhere. We need to pause here and go back a verse. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Certainly we could hurt our minds trying to think about the limitless presence of God. There are countless questions that I will leave unanswered. I don't think I've ever prepared something where I have left more things on my note sheet than tonight. There are so many aspects of the presence of God that, that we could consider. And, and at some point we have to say it is clearly laid out in scripture. It stands to reason. And there is much that we can say, but we also need to say that this God is beyond our comprehension. It is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. He is in the unexplored depths of the deepest ocean. He is in the furthest reaches of the galaxy. And He is very present right now in this room with you and I. He is not a territorial God. In, in the ancient Near East, it would have been very common for people to have a god of their nation, a god of the valleys, a god of the hills, a god of the sea, or a god of the sun, a god of the harvest. And these gods had dominion, so it was thought, over certain aspects of uh, the the world that we live in. The Israelites would encounter people who thought that their god would rule the valleys. So as long as the battle took place in the valleys, they would win, but if they went up to the hills, then that's where Israel's God would rule. But that is not God. He is everywhere. I was reading this week in 2017 after the 2016 elections, there was an influx of Americans seeking to cross the border into Canada to avoid a certain rule. Can't do that with God. There is no border that you can cross. There is no place where you can flee for refuge. And on the positive side, there is nowhere you can go that he will not be there with you. No one can take you someplace. No one can take you far enough that God is not with you. In light of that, I think it would be good for us to ask what the nature of this presence is in the world. His presence is with us everywhere. It is universal. He is omnipresent. He is all-present. He is everywhere. Seems like it would be good for us to know what that presence is like. And we see that this God is personal. There is a theory that has some support out there that... uh, there, there is a God who made everything and then sat back to watch it work according to the laws with which he set up. The divine watchmaker is, is what this is called. It is an attempt by people who want naturalism and deism to, to be able to be true and yet still need an explanation for how things began. Like a watchmaker sets all the gears in place and starts the the process and then backs away and watches it go. They say God is the creator, but he is not present. That is not what the scriptures teach. No matter where he goes, the psalmist concludes, even there your hand shall lead me Your right hand shall hold me. It is not just that God is there. It's that God is leading. He is holding. We read a little later in Psalm 139, he is knitting people together. He is active in his creation. He is active where he is present. He is a personal God. This personal God is present everywhere. Another error is to say that certainly God is present in creation because he is creation. God and creation are one, pantheism. Maybe you believe that everything is God and God is everything. That also is not what the scriptures teach The Apostle Paul encounters some people in Athens, and he is telling them about this God they don't know. He says, "'Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. In him we live and move and have our being.'" We are not God. He is not us. The trees are not God. He is not the trees. He is distinct from his creation, and yet he is all around, everywhere. Almost every commentator that I read this week used the example of a fish swimming in the sea. The fish is not the sea. The sea is not the fish. And yet, you could say that the fish lives and breathes and Uh, swims and lives within the water. There is nowhere that fish goes where the water is not with it. And the fish cannot live without that water. The water can exist without the fish. God can exist without us, but we cannot exist apart from him. He is everywhere we go. We live and breathe and have our being in him. presence is so all-encompassing that like the air that we breathe, we can easily ignore it and forget that it is there. But We see he relates to his creation. He continues to knit together. He leads and he guides. He discerns thoughts from afar. If we go back a couple of verses, he is acquainted with all of our ways. He knows when we sit. He knows when we rise. He has searched us. He knows us. And as the psalmist will pray at the end, he can lead us in the way everlasting. He relates to his creation actively, even as he is present everywhere. And where he is present, his whole character is present. So he is present in his goodness, He is present in his power. He is present in his wisdom. He is present in his justice, which partially explains why the relationship that we can have, the experience that we can have with the presence of God can vary from time to time. He is never more or less present. In fact, he is necessarily present everywhere at all times sustaining us. He is holding us together every single one of us he's holding together the the stage on which I stand and the pew on which you sit and yet he is also able to be present uniquely with promise and in a gracious manner he is also able to be present as he is in hell with judgment and justice for sin we may be more or less aware He may open our eyes to see things that we wouldn't otherwise. I think of Moses standing at the burning bush recognizing God is here. He is not more present than he was with Moses 24 hours earlier or 24 hours later. He can be present uniquely. Certain aspects of his nature can be more or less visible but not more or less present. In his entirety, he is with us always, and everywhere. So why does this matter? Before we think about the implications of God's presence, I want to consider, by analogy, the impact of the presence of another person in your life. Think about what it means when you are afraid or going through a difficult situation, to have someone by your side. This morning, I asked our four-year-old daughter to go downstairs to the basement to get something, and as with most basements and most four-year-olds, she did not want to do that by herself. But It's no problem if somebody else is with her. There is no fear if her six-year-old sister is by her side. much easier is it to step into a fearful situation, to step into a difficult conversation? How much does it mean when you are grieving or sorrowful and someone comes and puts their arm around you and you know that you are not alone? How much difference does it make when you would like to do something you ought not to and somebody else was there? The presence of another person can restrain our activities. I am ashamed to admit, I am much shorter with my children when you all are not around. When somebody else is there, there's just a patience that I want to manifest that is harder for me when I'm by myself. It can embolden you to do something that takes courage Think of numerous stories of warfare and battle where having somebody at your side makes all the difference in moving forward versus running backwards. And what a difference it makes to celebrate joy with someone else. I was reading yesterday an article about some of the people who were in the control room in Houston when uh, Apollo 11 landed on the moon. And... Universally, they talked about what a privilege it was to be a part of something with so many other people and what a privilege they all felt to be able to be in that room, and to be able to celebrate with other people rather than watching back at their uh, homes or listening on the radio. Think of a, a great sports victory of the the Women's World Cup team. And what's the first thing when the final whistle blows, the teammates all run to each other or people look in the stands for a spouse or a child or a parent. We want to share our joys with others. It magnifies our joy to be able to share with others. Comfort, restraint, boldness, celebration are all magnified by the presence of other people. And these are real and good gifts, but oh brothers and sisters, how much more ought the presence of our God and King comfort and restrain and embolden and rejoice our hearts. Certainly there are some challenges that differentiate our ability to see and touch the presence of a friend or family member And yet God is as present with us as the person sitting next to you right now. And even more so because he knows every inclination of your heart. He knows every thought that you have. He is present with and around and in you and has been before you were born. Think about someone that you have known for years and years and years. And there is just a certain sweetness to being with someone who has watched you through various stages of life, who you have watched through various stages of life. You have known each other when you have walked through joys and trials together for years and years and years. God has been with you always and will be with you always. So his presence ought to make a difference. serves, first of all, as a warning. It is foolish to think that you can hide from God. It is futile to try. And people have been trying since the beginning. When Adam and Eve first sinned in the Garden of Eden, they hid, thinking that God would not be able to see them. Over and over again, their son Cain killed his brother and thought God was not there. He did not see. Jonah ran the other way. God wants me to go that way. I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going to go this way. David, the writer of this psalm, thought he could keep his adultery and murder from God. There is a story in the book of Jeremiah Where some prophets are prophesying that God is saying such and such when he has not not said that. And this is how God responds Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? declares the Lord. You cannot run from God, you cannot hide. From God. not only is he present David says even darkness which veils human sight does not help God's presence is everywhere and it brings light everywhere it goes we are so prone to think that darkness can hide us yet God sees he is present and sees every action every motivation of the heart, every thought of the mind. And yet I am struck, I think it's universal, certainly in my own heart, how willing I am to do things in the presence of God that I would never do in the presence of another person. How valuable would it be to me to think more often that God is with me One theologian stated that when we sin, we either believe that God doesn't see or that he doesn't care. Well, we've talked so far tonight, he is there, he does see. We need to know that he cares also. He is a patient God, we see that. The fact that he is with us always that he knows every inclination of my heart he knows every thought of my mind and he has not rightly struck me down for my sin and rebellion shows that he is abundantly patient But please don't mistake his patience for apathy he is withholding judgment but he will not withhold it forever there is no rebellion, there is no sin, there is no injustice that he is not present to witness. And as a witness, his testimony will condemn all of us. Which is why it is so necessary that Jesus Christ came. He who is everywhere came into the world into a specific somewhere. He who encompasses all places entered into a specific time and place. He is the image of the invisible God. God has always been with his creation but we could see that now in Emmanuel, God with us. And he came so that we who should all rightly relate to the ever-present God under judgment and can never run or escape from that judgment can be reconciled to God through his life, death, and resurrection. He took the judgment we deserved, such that in him, the presence of God, which otherwise would be such a terrible concept, can now be a great comfort. And that is where we will conclude. For those of you who have looked to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and are no longer trying to flee from the presence of God, but rather can rest in his presence and find great peace in the knowledge that wherever you go, he is with you. He is with you when you are lonely. Some of you know a loneliness that most of us can't even begin to understand. He is with you. You are never alone. Are you tempted to sin? He is right there with you. Let that be a warning to you. Let that also be a comfort to you. His strength is present right with you to say no in temptation. When you are tempted to open your phone or computer and look at something you ought not to look at, he can strengthen you to say no. When you are tempted to say a harsh word or an unkind word. He can strengthen you, His, his power is present right with you to help you to do that. Are you sorrowful, are you grieving? He can comfort you, he will comfort you. His presence is with you, you are not alone. Do you have joy? He is with you to rejoice. To magnify that joy. Are you in danger or trouble or suffering? He is with you. The same David who wrote this says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. a story in Jesus' life where he is on a boat and a huge storm comes up. and The apostles, his followers, the disciples are terrified that they are going to drown. Jesus is sleeping. They wake him up. And he stands up and he says, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves stop. Had they known who Jesus was, And they didn't, because their response is, who is this? Had they known who was with them? Would they have been as afraid? And yet Jesus, through his spirit, God in his presence, is as with you as Jesus was with those disciples in the boat. The best example that I know of, of seeing this lived out, Sure, there are many good examples. Is a man named John Patton. He was a missionary to cannibalistic island peoples. He faced almost perpetual danger, faced innumerable losses, dug graves for wives and children. Almost unbelievable as you read through his autobiography the, the dangers that he faced from disease and sword. Countless times he thought he had reached the end of his life. And this is what he says. Without the abiding consciousness of the presence and power of my dear Lord and Savior, nothing else in all the world could have preserved me from losing my reason and perishing miserably. In his words, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world became so became to me so real that it would not have startled me to behold him, as Stephen did, gazing down upon the scene. It is the sober truth, and it comes back to me sweetly after 20 years, that I had my nearest and dearest glimpses of the face and smiles of my blessed Lord in those dread moments when musket, club, or spear was being leveled at my life. Oh, the bliss of living and enduring as seeing him who is invisible. As you read through this man's life, over and over again, as he is faced with peril, he responds with trust. He responds with hope. He responds with confidence that my God is with me. Such that it wouldn't have surprised him at all to look up one day and to see a vision of God, as Stephen did as he was being killed for his faith in Acts 6. There's one specific instance where a friend warns him that he needs to escape his home, and he climbs up into a tree just before a uh, gang of attackers arrives at his house. And he says, "...the hours I spent there live all before me as if it were yesterday. I heard the frequent discharging of muskets and the yells of savages, yet I sat there among the branches as safe as in the arms of Jesus." Never in all my sorrows did my Lord draw nearer to me and speak more soothingly in my soul than when the moonlight flickered among those chestnut leaves and the night air played on my throbbing brow, as I told all my heart to Jesus. Alone yet not alone, if it be to glorify my God, I will not grudge to spend many nights alone in such a tree, to feel again my Savior's spiritual presence, to enjoy his consoling fellowship. If thus thrown back upon your own soul alone, all alone, in the midnight, in the bush, in the very embrace of death itself, have you a friend that will not fail you then? Do you know, Christian, that wherever you are, you are as safe as in the arms of Jesus? Let me conclude by echoing Patton's question. Wherever you find yourself, even the very embrace of death, have you a friend that will not fail you then? If you are running from God or seeking to hide from him, stop. It is a futile endeavor. Turn to him instead. And if you have turned to him, he is present everywhere. And that can never be taken from you. Though all else should fall away, that will remain. He is as present with you as Jesus was with his followers when he walked on the earth. And he will be always. Remember that. Remind each other of that. It will help you to avoid sin, to fight temptation, to find courage, to be wisely guided, to rest at peace. David in another psalm wrote, You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy. Oh, may we all know the fullness of joy in the pervasive and personal presence of God, the presence of a friend that will never fail you. Join me in prayer. Father, you know... I was convicted this week when I pray I tend to think of sending up a prayer somewhere far above and hoping that you receive it and yet Lord you are right here with us as we talk to you and you hear us do hear our prayer and make your presence be a warning to those of us who need that and a comfort to those of us who need that search us O oh God and know our hearts Try us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way within us and lead us by your presence in the way that is everlasting. In the name of your Son, Christ, we pray. Amen.